Divorce and Beyond listeners, it's Susan, and it is time for our August roundup of the top divorce and family law cases in the news. So I just want you to remember, we do this not because we want to sensationalize those high-profile divorces that you read about and you see in the tabloid media. The intent is really to dive beneath those wild headlines, which are often inaccurate or misleading, and to provide you with some context, some information, and wherever possible, some takeaways that can help you in your journey through divorce and beyond. So let's dive in. So just breaking, literally as I was getting ready to start taping this episode, was the news that Jennifer Jennifer Flavin, the wife of Sylvester Stallone, has filed for divorce after 25 years of marriage. I have to be honest, I heard or saw a news story just the other day that he had been spotted out and his tattoo, which was originally a picture of his wife's face, had been tattooed over with a picture of his dog, Buttkiss. And I thought to myself when I heard that, oh, I suspect we're going to be hearing of a breakup in the near future. And here we go. So, you know, just a couple of things to share on this. We have seen many people enter into divorce later in marriage. And this couple, as I mentioned, have been married for 25 years, which really means this is a gray divorce. She is 54 years old. Rocky, good old Sylvester, is 76. And that means the, you know, they're really divorcing at a point in time where their marriage is of such long standing that in general, usually that this will have for most couples, maybe not, you know, Sylvester and Jennifer, but this can have a really big impact on the finances of couples that are closer to retirement and couples that have spent amassing assets and perhaps debt together. So it'll be interesting to see what more we hear about this divorce as it plays out through the press. We don't really have any indications that this is going to be high conflict. And one other note is they do have three daughters, the youngest of whom is 20. So likely there's no issues regarding the children as an issue in this divorce. But I had to mention it because it broke across my phone screen right as I was getting ready to tape. But moving on, this is the, the case I originally planned to start this episode with because for any of you who follow me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, you know this is a case that got my dander up. It was the Olivia Wilde and Jason Sudeikis custody case, which is, you know, daily playing out in the news. It was originally reported back, if you all remember, when Olivia was served on stage during a press event with the custody action paperwork. Jason claimed he didn't know anything about that. I talked about this in a previous Headlines Roundup episode. But what happened recently, well, let me read you the headline. Olivia Wilde wins first custody battle against Jason Sudeikis. Well, that's where I started to get a little annoyed with the local media or the, the celebrity media. 
because if you listen to that headline, and that's just one of many similar headlines, it sounds like there is a custody battle and Olivia won custody of the children over Jason. And that is, in fact, not at all what happened recently in their case. In fact, I did a, an interview with my friend, the only divorce journalist in the country, Alyssa Panitz, and she recently printed this in Authority Magazine for medium.com. I will include a link for you, as I always do when we mention something in an episode. So I'll include a link to my article or the article where I talk about this, but what happened is Jason back in October of last year in the New York courts filed an action seeking custodial rights and a parenting plan through the courts in New York. Then Olivia recently, within the past couple of weeks, filed a petition to determine parental relationship, which is basically a non-married couple's parenting action, and she filed it in California. And so what happened is we had two actions pending in separate states, states that have separate laws, separate judicial systems. And so it needed to be determined which one was the correct venue. That's our legal term for it. What's the What was the right court to hear it in? And for those of you who are thinking, well, hey, Jason filed first, so doesn't his win? That may be true in certain matters, but when it comes to the best interests of children, which is the overriding presumption in all states regarding custody actions, there is a higher standard. And that standard is which state has the closest relationship to those children, which state is the, is the home state of those children, with the idea that that is then the state that has the best ability to make determinations in those children's best interests. So what happened a couple of weeks ago is the two there was a hearing and the two judges in the two different states essentially had a conversation maybe with the submission of some evidence I'm not we don't know about that but they determined under something called the Uniform Child Custody Jurisdiction and Enforcement Act which has certain criteria one of which is which state has been the state of residence for the children for the 6 months prior to bringing the action and the it was determined by the judge in New York that California was the home state. And so the judge dismissed the action in New York. No prejudice, no ruling on the merits of the case, whether anything about their parenting and no determination as to custody. It just dismissed the action and said, go to California and it'll be heard there. So much more still to come in this case, unless these two are able in some way to work this out privately, which unfortunately it does not appear so far that they have been able to do. But there's been absolutely no determination as to what is in those children's best interests. So that's a really good example of why I think it's so important that we dive beneath the headlines because the popular press has that tendency to really sensationalize what is going on 
in a celebrity or high profile divorce case to get you to click on the headline. And, you know, that's not really very helpful to any of us, let alone those poor children who are subject to custody action. You know, this is out there in the press. And these kids will always have access to that information. They may be six and eight, but when they're 16 and 18, it'll still be out there. All right. So the next one, I mean, how can we not talk about Ben and Jen's weddings, right? Two weddings. So since we last got together for a headlines roundup, they had their whirlwind elopement, I guess I'll call it, in Vegas. Then they went on their beautiful tour of Paris and Italy for the honeymoon. And just this past weekend, they had a big party and second wedding ceremony in Georgia. So there's been a lot of wedding stuff around Ben and Jen. But there's also in the news, there's a an allegation that the two of them do not have a prenup for this second wedding or this second go-round. I guess they never had a first wedding back in 20 years ago. So it was famously reported back when they were engaged 20 years ago that they had signed a prenup. If you remember, they broke off the engagement just before the wedding, but that they did have a prenup back then. And that prenup had a no cheating clause because of Ben's bad behavior back then. The report was that he spent the night with a bunch of strippers. And so what that their prenup allegedly said back at that time was that they would each keep their own and take their own if there were a divorce, except if Ben cheated. If Ben cheated, then the prenup was no longer going to be in effect and their estates would be, the marital estate would be divided pursuant to law, which essentially meant that she was going to get 50% of his earnings. Well, turn things around and 20 years later, the two of them combined are worth about $550 million. But it's not an equal split between the two of them. Of that $550 million, J-Lo's reportedly worth $400, and Ben's only worth a paltry $150 million. But they have determined, or at least according to reports, that there is no need to have a prenup because their love is, and I'm putting this in quotes, so unconditional. So it would be rare that a celebrity couple, certainly with over half a billion dollars in net worth, combined net worth, did not have a prenuptial agreement. But I guess we'll never know unless Ben and Jen 2.0 unfortunately doesn't work out. But let's let's hope for them that all goes well. All right. So poor Kelly Clarkson, the divorce that never ends or the case that never ends to incite media interest. So the recent headlines have been that Kelly Clarkson reflects back on rough couple of years after Brandon Blackstock divorce. Yeah, it's been a rough couple of years. It's over and they've moved beyond it, but it continues every time the poor woman opens up her mouth and mentions anything about the divorce or her life. It does seem to get taken back and be defined by the divorce and what happened during that divorce. I personally wanted to hone in on something that was reported in these articles, but not really emphasized and certainly not talked about in that headline. Again, clickbait. It sounds like Kelly 
and the kids relocated to Montana for the summer, which happens to be where her ex, Brandon Blackstock, also lives, so that Kelly, the children, and their father were all in close proximity to each other for the summer. And she said that it was really nice to have the kids with her and with their dad. They've had to travel a lot because mom and dad live separately and in different states. And so she said she thought her kids felt a little more centered and it was nice. And that's the part I think is, you know, I wish we could make a headline about that. It does not say, although I did see one headline that said, spends the summer in Montana with their ex-husband. It does not sound like they actually were residing in the same place. He has his own place that he famously purchased after she was awarded her ranch in the divorce. But this is a family that, you know, worked it out so that in the summer, the kids could have a little more ease and a little less travel in order to have access and time with both of their parents. You know, if we're going to emphasize something, let's emphasize what parents will do to support their children. And, and sort of the opposite of that would be the Brangelina case still in the news, the case that will never end, although these two have been legally divorced for quite some time now. Somehow, and I put that in quotes as well, somehow photos and the FBI report from that incident that happened on the private plane six years ago was recently re-released and found itself back in the news. A couple of the headlines were about photos of Angelina Jolie's alleged bruises from Brad Pitt during horrid flight, the fact that Brad caused $25,000 of damage to the plane during that incident. So this all found its way back into the news again. And I just wanted to bring it up because one, it, it has been widely reported again, but two, we're talking about something that happened six years ago. The FBI did do an investigation of the, all the allegations at that time and declined to, to press any charges or take any action. And evidence from this incident was presented in the custody case that Angelina Jolie continues to pursue against Brad Pitt, the judge, after hearing that, still gave him 50-50 custody of the children. So one wonders how much weight these allegations and this evidence bore. Now, I want to point out for people, there's a difference between fresh evidence and evidence that's six years old, frankly. When this happened, and I'm not saying it didn't happen, it is very possible. I know he has admitted that he was drinking heavily and that the things got out of hand on that plane, despite the fact that the FBI did not pursue any action. But it did happen six years ago. There is no fresh new evidence. There's been nothing in the press or that's been alleged that I have seen that talks about any incidents with Brad Pitt and his children in recent times. And this is unfortunately something that will continue to happen in family cases where there is when people are under the duress of a, of a relationship that is failing, certainly throw in some alcohol or drug abuse, and you are going to get explosive events like this. So I don't doubt that there's some 
element of truthfulness here, and I don't know, not involved in this case. But when all you continue to hear in a case is about something that happened three, four, five, six years ago, it should be perhaps telling that nothing explosive or disruptive or upsetting has happened recently. And if one parent is unable to let that go or move beyond that bad behavior in the hopes that the other parent has corrected and learned from that mistake, what you're going to see is a case that will never end. And generally, this is what you see in a custody battle that never ends. Now, I'm not you know, I'm not saying specifically in this case, but I do want to say that cases that continue to get dragged back into court are often cases that someone is just not able to move forward. If the children are truly in danger, then, you know, that's a different matter. And that is something that needs to continue to be brought before the court's attention. But current evidence is much more impactful than something that happened six years ago. And then another case that I had to bring up, because again, it never ends, is, so we'll just touch on it for a little minute here, would be Kanye and Kim, because there have been a few updates in that case, things to be talking about. So we have Kanye lost his fifth lawyer. That lawyer, just as with the past attorneys, moved to be released from the case. If you all remember, I talked about this in a prior episode, once an attorney appears legally in a legal case for a client, they can't just quit. They have to be released from the case either by the court, by a judge, or by the client. And usually that's done by either a new attorney coming in and taking over for them or the the client representing themselves. And in this case, the attorney is asking the court and asked the court and was granted the right to leave the case. And it was all based as the past motions have been from his other four attorneys that the attorney-client relationship has broken down. Generally, that means for us in attorney speak, a little peek behind the curtain here is that our client is not listening to us, that our client, we give them as they are, is our job and our ethically, our ethical guidance is to give them advice and guidance on how to conduct themselves and how to move through their divorce. And when we see a client who will continually disregard that and in fact usually act in ways that are against that advice or act in ways that are contrary to our ethical code, we will need to leave that representation. And that's sort of what that attorney-client breakdown is code speak for. Same day I thought was interesting, we heard about the breakup of Kim and Pete Davidson. So Keith or Pim, I'm not sure what we were calling them, but they are they are done. They broke up after about eight or nine months of dating. And she is now single. Pete is now single. Kanye, of course, said some nasty stuff in social media. Pete reportedly, unfortunately, then checked himself in for some mental health assistance, and Kanye did delete those posts. But this is a case that does look like it's going to continue to be in the news. One of the last things that I heard in this case is that they are scheduled 
for a trial date before the end of the year. So hopefully that does mean an end of all of this for Kim. I know she has been trying to move the case forward and Kanye's ping-ponging around attorneys and not providing the information he's required to provide has been very dilatory, but I think we're gonna have an end to this case, hopefully out of court, but eventually it will happen in court if they're not able to resolve things. And then my last case for the month, and I just had to comment on it because I always get an alert when a, a divorce case is mentioned on Google. And just the other day, I got the email that had all of the divorce cases that were mentioned in the news in that contained in that one summary email, and they were all this one case. I couldn't believe it. There were like 15 headlines about this case. And I'll be honest, I've never watched this show. It's called Love is Blind. It's on Netflix. So we're talking about some Netflix celebrities and just like Bravo celebrities. But Love is Blind's Danielle Rule and her, her husband have filed for divorce. And apparently they were the last couple standing from season two of that show. I think there were four couples that met in this this fashion where they meet, but they don't see each other until after they've ha made a connection. And unfortunately, that means they have, for at least that second season, a 100% divorce rate, which you all know, probably know, far exceeds, doubles in fact, the 40 to 50% first marriage divorce rate for the rest of the country. So I just wonder what that tells us about this idea of people falling in love without having been in contact with each other because I, you know, it doesn't mean necessarily just based on looks. I don't think that, I think that most of this communication between these couples was not in person. And, you know, it brings to mind, you know, what is that neurobiological or that chemical, you know, zing that we talk about? Go listen to some of my episodes with Bella Gandhi, America's favorite favorite dating expert, talking about the zing and the butterflies and, and all of those things. But it does make me wonder if there is some element of physicality that leads to a relationship being sustainable. I don't know that we can call four divorces that were created or marriages that were created on television in reality TV a good case study. Certainly my psychology and psychologist friends out there would, would say there's absolutely nothing to this. But I also find it interesting that we have taken relationships and turned them into a game for viewing entertainment. And that's, you know, pretty widespread. We have The Bachelor, The Bachelorette Nation, right? Those are hugely popular shows, although not many marriages have actually come out of those and many of them have ended in divorce. We have this Love is Blind show. We have the 90 Day Fiance, I think it's called. We have Divorce Court. So they just announced Star Jones will be taking over as the new judge of divorce court. And it's an interesting idea, I think, societally, that we've taken relationships, love, and marriage, and divorce, and turned them into a spectator sport. I know there's a lot that happens in divorces, whether they're high profile and celebrity or just the rest of us folks, that makes it interesting because people in times of high emotion will do 
some crazy stuff. But I wonder if it's really the place where we want to be going to look for love. So those are the cases that I wanted to talk to you about. Do that little dive behind the headlines. So thank you for joining me for the August Headlines Roundup on Divorce and Beyond. Be sure to tune in next Monday where we have a special episode with Amy Palacco. Amy, they call her Pitbull Palacco, and she is a former investigative journalist And she is a divorce coach and works in the world of high conflict and narcissism. And she has her own personal story. This is going to be a really interesting episode. We dive into the Tindler swindler and talk about, again, putting romance and online dating into the the public profile. But Amy has a lot of great insights about what you need to be aware of as you dive into the world of online dating. So see you next Monday, and I'll see you in September for the next Headlines Roundup.